Matthew chapter 15. Good to have everyone this morning. Matthew chapter 15. Beginning in verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning from thy words. Lord, I seek not to impress anyone with the wisdom of men, nor do I seek to seek any applause. I pray, dear God, that you'd help me to exalt Christ and Christ alone. Help me, dear God, I pray that I would be able by your grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord, that we might see the great blessing of this gift of grace which God so freely gave us through Christ, the gift of faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to not only once again fall in love with this amazing grace, this amazing gift that you've given us through the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the wonders and Lord, to see the immeasurable blessings that you bestowed upon those who truly walk by faith and not by sight. Father, be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray these things. And for his glory alone. Amen. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Holy Spirit created faith in me. Have you ever or have you recently given much thought to this glorious gift of God, this gift of faith that God gave us at salvation. That we might be able to believe in the things of God and all the promises that are in Christ. These words found in this old hymn as simplistic as they sound, the meaning is as deep and mysterious 
as any or all works of God within the heart of His own. The imparting of this divine gift, this divine virtue in our hearts is one of the greatest mysteries of our holy Christian faith. Yet, beloved, it's effectual working upon our entire being a manifested and glorious evidence of God's divine election. Let me say that again. It's one of the greatest mysteries of our holy Christian faith, but it's effectual working upon our entire being a manifested and glorious evidence of God's divine election. It's a gift of God. We could stand here for a few minutes and just ponder that. That faith which Peter describes as precious, which we've obtained, he says, not by any merit of our own, but through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, we could stop and ponder those words and fall down in praise and adoration to God. The gift of the grace of God, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, by which he said we are saved and that not of ourselves. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. The gift of faith by God's grace. That glorious gift of God's grace Beloved, which unites us to Christ and everything He is and all the promises of God which are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen. That is the effectual working of God's given faith. It unites us to Christ and everything that He is. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. That is the gift of faith. And though we may not know how, or even why, God would impart such a gift of grace into any of us, our text allows us to see, if but a glimpse, of how God works such a gift of grace within a sinner's heart until it is made great. Great not in regards to any merit of our own, but great in believing in Christ. O oh, woman, great is thy faith. Why? It united her to Christ. What a glorious gift of God. Look in verse 22 to 24 again. 
And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her, not a word. It's truly amazing. Especially if you know something about whom she is addressing. It's he who doth not afflict willingly. Lamentations chapter 3. It is he who comforts us in all our tribulations, our severe afflictions and distresses of life. It's he whom Micah says delighteth in mercy. It is he who is now silent, the Bible says, to the cries of the sorely afflicted mother who seeks its mercy. He's silent to her cries of mercy. It's amazing. Again, we can stand back and ponder and be amazed at the wisdom and knowledge and grace of God, even in a silence. This mother is genuinely sorrowful and grieving. Heartbroken to the core. Cries and pleads for mercy, and yet he who delighteth in mercy is silent. It's an amazing thought. There was occasions when Christ, when he walked amongst men, was silent. Before Pilate, he was silent. And Pilate complained at him being silent. When the scribes and Pharisees brought before him the woman caught in adultery, he at first acted as though the Bible says, as though he heard them not, as he wrote in the sand. Even later, at his own crucifixion, he would not open his mouth as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. So there was times when Christ was silent and later on would be silent. Yet, beloved, never have we heard of Christ being silent to the cries for mercy. Never up to this point have we heard Christ be silent, if that makes sense, to the cries of mercy. Yet, if we would listen but closely and humbly attend to the Word of God, I believe we could learn that in His silence, he yet speaks volumes. Yet not to the disciples of the multitudes, but to this woman. <laughs> the intimacy of our relationship with Christ is amazing. Amazing. I find as I grow older, not only in age, but in Christ, I find myself more amazed at the unbelievable love of God in Christ Jesus. His silence even fooled his disciples. Because the disciples took his silence to be an utter rejection. Because he... They beseech Christ to send her away. He's silent. Therefore, he has nothing to say to this woman. Then send her away. 
Yet, like I said, his silence spoke volumes to her. For it only inspired her to seek him more diligently. The more I pondered this text this last week, and I pray, I pray, I pray that God would help us all to see that. The more I looked at my own salvation and what Christ has wrought within myself and how he brought and worked in me and created in me that gift of God's faith, how he worked it effectually in my own heart. And I seen myself in these words of Christ, in this text, in this discourse with this woman, I seen my own salvation. And I thought how, how intimate Christ was, has, and still is to me. He was silent to her and the disciples and the multitudes took that silence to be a rejection, yet she didn't. Like the two blind men sitting by the wayside when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yet when the multitude rebuked them that they should hold their peace, what did they do? They cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. When once, dearly beloved by the grace of God, faith has been divinely imparted, even though yet in its infancy, and it is here in our text in its infancy, what do you think brought her to Christ? Oh, let your theological understanding now use or be effective. What came first, faith or regeneration? I leave that up to you. But it's in its infancy. She came seeking out Christ. It is yet in its infancy. And beloved, once God's Faith has been divinely imparted, though yet in its infancy, because it is of God, it will not rest. Listen to me. It will not rest until it is fully anchored in Christ, its author and its finisher. What faith begun in her before she even saw Christ, Christ would finish it. Even if Christ himself appears to fire upon it. I want you to see God's effectual working of faith in this woman so that we as God's children would once again be ravished by God's working of faith in our own lives. Once God has divinely imparted that work of faith, beloved, it will not rest until it's fully anchored in Christ, its author and finisher. It is yet in its infancy, so Christ fires upon it even more. Nobody realizes it but this woman. Look what he does next in verse 23. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. They don't see the workings of grace. They see nothing going on between this woman and Christ. And yet, I believe this woman and Christ was having an intimate time at this moment. They see nothing. But she did. And Christ knows. But he answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He speaks almost with her as a third party. She's standing right there in their, in their presence. And he speaks to the disciples. He, he doesn't even address her yet. He said, I'm only sent to the house of Israel. You think how rude that is. First he's silent, now he doesn't even address this woman. 
And we think, how becoming is this of God who delighteth in mercy? We claim to know so much about God, and we are yet so ignorantly foolish. Christ is working this woman in a way that no one else sees but her. <laughs> He's working that faith. <laughs> He's stirring it up. He's strengthening it by fiery trials. By casting his own arrows upon her, he's strengthening her faith. He's drawing her even closer to him, yet unbeknownst to all them around her. Does that sound familiar? In your own salvation. But he answered and said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Surely now, he that delighteth in mercy will respond in a loving way. We didn't understand why he didn't respond to her cries of mercy. Surely now when she cries for help, surely now the Lord will answer her in a pleasant way and help her in her distress. But he answered and said, it's not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He increases it. He fires upon her faith like none other. His silence was agonizing enough on top of her grief, yet now to remind her of her utter unworthiness of his slightest attention and care, surely this would drive her to despair and drive her away from Christ. It cannot and it will not because she has a true faith. Are you following me? She has a true faith. The gift of God that will not rest until it anchors itself in Christ. You see the difference? You know why we have a lot of false believers? They know nothing of this true faith. And I'll get to that in a few moments. I want to get ahead of myself, but right after this occasion, multitudes come, great multitudes, and throw people down at Christ's feet, and He merely heals them. We don't hear them beg for mercy and grace and help. Christ merely heals them. Why? They had not a true lively faith. She did. And Christ said, it has to grow. It has to be strong in me. It has to find an anchor in me. That's true faith. Every true child of God must strive to enter in at the straight gate. Because that's the effectual working of faith. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread, to cast it to dogs. Do you know how insulting that was? You're nothing. You're not worthy. I compare you to nothing but a dog. Surely, most people would walk away. The rich man who came and fell down at Christ's feet and said, How shall I inherit eternal life? Christ told him, Go sell all you got, come follow me. He went away. That was a mild rebuke. He went away. He didn't have faith. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is true faith and it's effectual working. This is why we have so many people sitting in churches that know nothing of this true faith because they have it not. Getting ahead of myself again, but Christ said himself, many shall seek to enter in. 
They're seeking to enter in, and that's merely it. They're seeking to enter in. Oh, this easiness, this this gospel, which is not a gospel today that says you just come up here and bow your knees to God and He'll fix all your problems, and that's why He exists is to save you and fix your problems and make, give you a happier life. That's not the faith. Let me tell you something. If you're truly here saved this morning, listen to me, and you can bear witness to this. It was a struggle and a striving when God began convicting your heart of sin. You were struggling with inside of your heart. It was a striving. You were confronted with your sins and your unworthiness and God's grace and you felt unworthy. You felt guilty before God. It was a striving. Do you know what's taking place at that moment when a holy, thrice God looks down upon a sinner and shows him what he is? There's a striving. The trying of our faith by fire is precious even in its infancy. Verse 27, And she said, Truth, Lord. As true faith is to be tried and found precious by fiery trials, like I said, even in its infancy, so too these fiery trials at Christ's own hands wrought in her a faith which Christ would claim to be great. Not great for any merit of her own, but great in that it anchored itself in Christ alone. Listen to this. This is the third time she speaks to Christ. 26 and 20, 28, listen to these words again and follow me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. The third time she spoke to Christ, now follow me, when she cried for mercy, Christ was silent. When she cried for help, he declared her unworthy. When she came to see and acknowledge the truth about herself, he heard her. That's important. Because many people come to Christ simply because they're in sorrow, they're in grief, they're in pain, their life is miserable. That's not enough. That's not enough. Listen to me, that's not true faith. And many people do. They come to God because they've got life problems. And, and I'm not saying God is indifferent about those things, but if you come to Christ for anything except Christ himself, he'll not hear you. Have compassion on me. I'm grieving my daughters. Okay, good. You, you are sorrowful. You are grieved, yes. But that's not the reason you should be coming to Christ. Lord, help me. It's still about you. Help me. It's still about you. It's not about you. And then Christ finally shows her unworthiness. She sees the reality of it, the truth of it. She says, truth, O Lord. But even dogs will take crumbs from the master table of the master. Then and only then does Christ say, O woman, great is thy faith. You see the difference? 
There are so many people this morning sitting in churches who've come to Christ. They say, they proclaim because their life was miserable and because they had a lot of problems. And somebody promised them that Christ would take care of all those problems. And that's the reason why they came to Christ. And now they're sitting there with a false hope and a false faith. You know what happens? After a few years, that pew will be empty. They'll be no longer in church. A little trouble, a little trial, and then they'll just walk away. You know when the Lord said those that endure to the end shall be saved? It has nothing to do with our merit or our own enduring. It's a fact. It's a biblical fact. He's stating a fact. He's not stating a condition. He's saying those that endure to the end shall be saved because those that endure to the end are truly those that are saved. They have the gift of faith. If God imparts faith unto us, listen to me, beloved, God is not only the origin of it, but Christ is the author and finisher of it and the sustainer of it, and He will keep it. And that's what He's doing in this woman. I'm getting ahead of myself, but when this woman would leave, she has to go back into her land of Canaan. And she's going back into great opposition because she's going to tell them, I met the Messiah, I met the Savior, He's Jesus Christ. And she's going to meet great opposition, just like we do every day of our lives as Christians. She has to have a strong faith. After she walked away from Christ this day, she could overcome anything. I'm getting ahead of myself, but do you see how this prepares us, even dearly beloved, in our lives as Christians? Not just when we get saved, but throughout our Christian life. God prepares us by trials and prepares us by fiery afflictions for things that's going to happen in our life that we might be able to endure it for His honor and glory. That's why it's precious. The trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be entire, wanting nothing. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth freely and abradeth not. He'll not scold you for coming to him often, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Lord, have mercy on me. He's silent. Help me. He declares unworthiness. And finally, one simple word. Truth. Truth, Lord. It was all about me before. And all about my grieving and my pain and my sorrow. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I'm content with merely the crumbs that fall from your table. I'm not worthy of anything else. I don't want the whole bread. I don't want the whole feast. I desire merely the crumbs. If I could just but touch the hem of his garment. Amen. In closing, there are so many blessed truths in our text which I found in my meditating upon these scriptures which I desire to show you that uh, there are too many. For example, why was this woman signaled out? When later on, look in verse 30, and the great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, cast them down at his feet, and he healed them. No cries for mercy. 
No cries for help. No diligently seeking the Lord. They just come to him and throw him down and the Lord heals them. Why is this woman singled out? I believe it's because the great multitude didn't have faith. She did. Christ said, oh, <laughs> my elect shall not settle with anything short of a full assurance and confidence of faith in Christ. Oh, beloved, <laughs> what a blessing that is when you think about it for a minute. Strive to enter in at the straight gate, the Lord said, for many shall seek to enter in and shall not be able. Like I said earlier, the mere seeking of many to enter in shall prove to be their eternal ruin. They're merely seeking to enter in. There's no effort. There's no striving. While the striving of the few shall gain them access into the straight gate, and eternal bliss. This is why the Lord said, strive to enter at straight gate. People have problems with that. Mankind has always had trouble balancing the sovereignty of God and the servitude of man, but they have trouble balancing that out. Why would the Lord say, strive to enter in at the straight gate when it's all of God's grace? Well, it's a fact. Again, it's a fact. Those that strive will enter in. Those that merely seek. And oh, there are a multitude that seek they'll not be able. Secondly, what come out of our my meditating of these truths is that how the trying of her faith was necessary to face the countless obstacles and opposition she would later face. You see, after, like I said earlier, after she would leave this and go back to her own country, she would face a lot of opposition. You think it was hard for the Jew. What do you think about the Gentiles? She had to have a faith that was going to be sure and steadfast. And after Christ had fired upon us on her faith himself, <laughs> what would she have to fear of? She needed to have a strong faith. Beloved, do you know that Christ enables each and every one of his children, each and every one of us who are Christians today, he enables us, even before it takes place, he enables us to meet whatever afflictions and trials he brings upon our way. You know, when I was a young Christian and I would pray before I go to work, I pray differently than I do now. Now it's not really <clears throat> a struggle to kind of find God's will. Now it's merely, <coughs> excuse me, submitting to whatever God might bring apart this day. Lord, I'm not trying to find your will for the day. I just want to be able to, whatever you send my way, whatever lot you have <coughs> ordained for my life this day, whatever comes at me today, help me, Lord, I pray, just to submit to your will. I'm not trying to find your secret will for my life today. I merely want to obey whatever it is you bring in my life. be it hardship or affliction or joy or happiness, whatever it might be, Lord, help me to have a heart and a mind and a faith prepared to submit to whatever you devise for this day. But there is one divine truth which eclipsed them all, 
and that's found in verse 28, and I want to share that with you before we close. This one truth eclipsed them all, and I want, and I hope, and I pray that you would enjoy it as much as I did and do myself. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, Watch this, watch this, O woman, great is thy faith. Follow me. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Now let me tell you something. Here's the jewel of the greatest price that we need to get a hold of concerning this gift of faith that God gives his children. Listen to the words. Christ acknowledges this faith to be hers. And he even says, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Oh, how we feel so embarrassed if we don't say, Lord, i got to say according to your will, because then I, uh, you know, somebody might think that I'm asking my will. No, he says according as you will. Listen to the words. Here's something about faith we need to grasp as God's children. Once God has imparted this gift of faith into His children, listen to me, even though God is the origin of it, and Christ is the author and finisher of it, the sustainer of it, it becomes ours through Christ. Be it according to thy faith. All things whatsoever you ask, believing. The gift now becomes part of us. Part of ours. It's a mystery. Great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. That's the power of God's gift of faith. Oh, I'm not saying that this faith can overrule whatever God sovereignly ordains for our life. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But God is basically saying in this text, As thy faith, so shall thy strength and thy wishes be. Ask what you will. Why do we believe that? We're afraid to say, God, I pray that you would do this or do that. God, I pray that you would answer my prayer. Oh, we're so anxious and afraid not to say, oh, but according to your will. Christ here says, according to thy faith, be it as thou wilt. Listen to what the Lord is saying. This is the power of the gift of faith that God gives his people. Let me let, me let Paul explain it. Galatians 2. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Follow his words. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You see the difference? I live by the faith. Of, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. But the life I now live... In the flesh, I live by the faith. It's a life. When the Bible says we walk by faith, that doesn't simply mean our motions are by... No, that's a way of life. Our life now is a life of faith. Are you following me? God has imparted unto us this gift of faith. And oh, beloved, it must be tried and by fiery trials to be stronger, to teach us patience, but it grows. And it's tried all the time. And beloved, it'll always grow. It'll grow into more things. It'll be great. We walk by faith. We live by faith. God has imparted that unto us, and now it becomes 
ours. That the trial of your faith, the language of Scripture, the trial of your faith be more precious than gold tried in the fire in First Peter 1, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You see how the Scriptures again define it as our faith, what, <coughs> what God has imparted unto us. He says becomes ours. This glorious gift. We have the privilege and blessings. And let me use the word because most people who believe in doctrines of grace are afraid of it, but it's true. We have the blessings and we have the pleasures of exercising it. I believe a lot of people who believe in God's sovereignty misunderstand this and therefore they don't understand faith. You remember when the Lord said, Peter, Satan desires to have you sift you as wheat? You remember what he prayed for? He said, I've prayed for your faith. He identifies it as Peter's. Most people believe in doctrines of grace today would say, oh, what he really meant is I'm praying for the faith that I gave you. No, he didn't say that. He says, I'm praying for your faith, your faith. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. I'm praying for your faith. Why? It's, it's you. What Christ, listen to me, what Christ has, we have in him. By faith. You believe that? What Christ has, we have by faith in him. All that is Christ is ours. All the promises of God are in Christ. Yea, and in him, amen. They're all ours by faith. Why don't we grasp that? Again, we're so afraid that we're going to do dishonor to God's sovereignty by not ending something by saying, oh, but I don't want it to be my will but thine. Oh, you weakling, pray the prayer of faith. Be it as thou wilt. I wonder if Scott sometimes doesn't say, why don't you ask me? Grow up and be a man and ask me what you want. True child of God would never, ever pray or ask anything in their heart and minds, that they would not want God to be honored and glorified by it or not to be His will, that doesn't mean we can't say, Lord, this is what I'm praying for. You have not because you ask not. Why is it we can't look at Scripture in its entirety? We've always got to isolate it and make a whole doctrine out of that. Why do we have such a hard time believing when Christ said, all things whatsoever you ask in my name, you shall receive if you believe. I love how the Lord does this. <clears throat> o woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Now, he says, now I'll answer your prayers. Because you've come to the realization that you're not worthy. And you've anchored your faith in me. You see, unless Christ is the anchor of our faith, unless he is alone our confidence, and unless he alone is the object of our faith, beloved, we cannot, we will not ever be able to go any step further in faith. He has to be the object of our faith. And yet God has given us this wonderful gift through Christ that we might approach God and in faith ask of him freely anything. Let him ask of God freely who abradeth not. Amen? 
But let him ask, believing. A double-minded man. That's what God really desires. And how do you and I know, and especially those theological eggheads, how do they know that it's not God's sovereign will that I ask for this? Everybody wants to claim they know God's secret sovereign will or they're afraid. What if it's God's sovereign will that he wants you and I to ask for this in prayer, this specific thing? Why don't we believe it? Why can we not believe in this gift of faith that God has given us? Why can we not put our trust in this gift of faith that God's given us and believing that whatsoever Christ has said, whatsoever I ask in prayer believing, I shall receive? If you had faith as big as a mustard seed, the Lord said you could move a mountain. No, he tried her faith until it anchored itself in Christ. And once she was anchored in Christ, she, the Lord says, Great is thy faith. Let it be as thou wilt. Oh, she changed Christ's mind. No, she didn't. It was always in Christ's mind to grant her request. How do we know what God's sovereign will might be? Maybe he says, I won't give you anything until he asks for it. And he asks for it in faith. Lord, I'm asking you this and praying for this. It would be thy will. Oh, come on. Come on. Lord, I'm asking you this in Christ's name. Grant my request. Grant my plea. Give me Scotland or give me death. Reading that prayer, I never heard him say, if it be thy will, he said, no, give me Scotland or give me death. God, give us grace to embrace this gift of God and understand it more in our own lives that we might pray more faithfully, confidently in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. We do thank you, Lord, for the gift of faith. Lord, faith is a marvelous and amazing gift. It unites us with Christ and everything that he is. Why do we not believe that when we pray? It unites us to him in whom all the promises of God are yea and in him amen. Why do we not believe that? Why are we so afraid to approach the throne of grace in time of need and to boldly bring our requests before our Father? And in the name of Christ, pray in faith for things that we hope and pray and believe that you yourself has laid upon our hearts. Father, I pray that you'd continue blessing us and guiding us throughout all of this. Father, help us now throughout the day, this week. I pray that, Father, we'd meditate upon these blessed truths and, Father, we'd be encouraged and strengthened by them. For we ask these things in Christ's glorious name. Amen.